Well, we are glad that you're here this morning, and we are wrapping up a four-week um, study called One Anothering. And uh, what we did was we just took the 100 one another's in the New Testament and narrowed them down to the 47 that have to do with us as believers interacting with each other. And then we took those 47 and we categorized them into four main categories, love, unity, humility, and encouragement. But we want to make sure that we all are on the same page here because the Christian faith is an action faith. And so we get wrapped up in knowledge. We get wrapped up in what we know and what we perceive to be Christianity and spiritual things. And we make the mistake of thinking that because we know it, we are it. But that ain't it. Because what we've learned is that our Christianity is supposed to be something that we're living out. And you're not spiritual because you know something. You're spiritual when you do stuff. That's when you do what you know to do. There's such a big difference. As a matter of fact, what we've learned is that knowledge in and of itself has the tendency to puff us up. The Bible actually says that. The Bible actually says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so there's this mental shift that I really feel that we have to make as a church. And that is like it's not enough to know stuff. It's all about how we interact with each other and what we're doing with what we know. I think that was such a passionate message of Jesus Christ. Is that it's how we're interacting with each other. That becomes the attraction to people who are not in it. Like that's what, that's, that's what we're here to do. And so what we did was all of these one another's, we put like an I-N-G on it. So instead of we're supposed to love, we are loving. We are unifying. We are humbling ourselves and what that looks like. And this week, of course, we are encouraging as we finish this up. But that's, this is what we should be living out. To reiterate, these one another's happen in community with actual people. Regularly, that's the idea. So here's my big question. Where's that happening in your life? Like who is this happening with? Like how are you unifying? In what ways are you loving? Who are you loving? In what situations are you finding yourself humbled? That's where it's, that's where it's at. That's, that's where we are this morning. And so we have this huge, all-encompassing directive about one anothering through encouragement. Like how do we encourage? What does that need to look like? And I'll be honest with you, it was this broad category that I threw everything that was left over in. Like there was, there was a lot of one another's that told us to love one another. A lot of, none of, none of yeah, those. It's harder than it looks, okay? A lot of one another's that had to do with unity and a lot of, a lot of one another's, it's the last one I'm going to say, that have to do with, with humbling ourselves. And then there was like this slew of, of one another's that just all kind of talked about building each other up and encouraging. So we just, we just threw it all in the encouragement bucket. And so there was so much here, so many verses in Scripture. 
And I chose a couple of them to kind of get us started off here. The first one's found in 1 Peter. And of course, the, the author of 1 Peter is the same Peter that walked on water, that followed Jesus, that was the loud mouth, you know, the guy that entered into a room foot first, I mean, in his mouth. Uh, you know, he was, he was that guy, right? And so he writes this many, many years later. As, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, and we're going to refer to this a couple times during the message. He said, and above all things, that's a pretty big directive, like above all things, have fervent charity. Now, we think of charity today as an organization, but the word here is the word agape, and we've learned that that word agape means that we are doing something with this love. We are loving by doing, so we are actively loving with, with substantive things. So we are, it's a having fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Isn't that interesting? Use, and then right in the middle of these two verses, he throws this one. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. It almost seems like it doesn't fit, but it's there for a reason. And then he goes on, and this is like we're going we're gonna to launch from here. As, now I want you to notice, he's assuming that everybody has this. This is not if every man has received the gift. He says, as every man has received the gift. So it's not an if here. So as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Man, there is, that is such a packed verse. Like we have received so much in life and we become reservoirs rather than distributors. And we are so grateful for everything God has done with us and done for us and given to us. And what Peter is saying here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is telling us we, are, we were given this thing for a purpose it wasn't for us to kind of hoard all this grace and just keep it all in here and be so thankful for it. We were given this grace to distribute it and to hand it out. And the very gifts that you have are supposed to be something that just abounds and overflows and gets to other people. Grace, my favorite definition of the word grace, is the divine influence upon the heart that is then manifested in the life. So we have this incredible influence of grace from God, and then how is that being reflected? How is that being distributed to other people? It is the attribute, grace is the attribute of, of God that we, we most often take for granted. And it is the one characteristic that we too often fail to demonstrate to other people. It's such a God-like characteristic, and it is so needed in our communities. Because here's the truth of the matter, and this is what it boils down to. We're all broken. We're all broken. We may, we all got stuff that we're working on. Your stuff looks different than my stuff. And you probably wouldn't want my stuff. And I know I don't want your stuff. But we all, we're all broken. We're, we all got stuff we're working on. Another great verse, First Thessalonians Chapter 5, this is Paul writing to this new church in Thessalonica, and he says this, he says in verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, 
even as also you do. And the two words I highlighted there just jumped out because here's what they are like in the original Greek. It goes back to these two words. The first word comfort is parakaleo. It's the same word that we call the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He's the paraclete. It's the same form of the same word. And here's what that means. So, so as we are comforting one another, this, it's not, so the comfort's not, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. It includes that. But let's expand that. Here's what comfort is. It is to come alongside, to encourage and to strengthen. So the idea is that we as believers in our lives with each other are supposed to go alongside each other and just walk through life together. And be a support and be a strengthener and be an encourager. And then this word edify is one of my favorite words in the New Testament because it appears everywhere. And it has to do directly with the relationship that we have with each other and our interaction with each other. And that is we should be edifying each other. It's the word oikomodeo. Did that impress you? Okay, thank you. I had to practice that a lot. But it means to build and to restore and to establish and to promote growth. This idea that the relationships that we have with each other ought to be constructive. It ought to be helping to build them up and, and set them on the right path and or help add things to their life that, that exponentially help them who they are. And here's the great thing, right? It can start in your family. Right? So, so husbands have the opportunity to edify their wives and their kids. And, and wives have the opportunity. And, I, and listen, that's like the tightest circle that you live in right there. And that's where it ought to be happening. And I asked you last week, I said, I, said, I said, does your wife think that you're a good Jesus follower? Is it evident? Is your husband encouraged by you? Man, marriage is not about drawing battle lines and who's right and who's wrong and who, who has the truth and who doesn't have the truth. It's about working together as a team and encouraging each other and building each other up. What a, what a mental shift. What a change of heart that could be. Man, it could, it could completely revolutionize the dynamic of your family, just the way that you speak to other. And I'm getting ahead of myself because there's so many ways that we can encourage each other. But isn't that what we need today? Is just encouragement of each other? You say, yeah, I need encouragement. No, no, you didn't. We need to be encouraging. That's the thing, right? We're, we're really good at receiving stuff. I'm trying to get us to focus on being the givers, being the distributors of this encouragement. So here's where we're going. I'll kind of let you know how I'm laying this sermon out. There's, there's two aspects of this message. The first aspect, and, and, and Dave's already has, has it up here for us, the first aspect of ways that we can all be encouraging. Like these are just universal truths. Like we can all be encouraging these seven ways. And then later on, we're going to get into how you are uniquely gifted. What is your role in encouragement? So the first way that I, th I think that we can all be encouraging is to carry one another's burdens. I think we should be actively carrying one another's burdens. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says this. He says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this is a very common verse. And this idea of bearing one another's burdens has the idea of, of sharing the load being present in each other's lives, being close enough 
to shoulder the burden with them. Isn't that a great mental word picture? Like you're close enough to somebody to be able to shoulder the load along with them. Just showing up makes a big difference. But what is a little puzzling to me is, is, so he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ and what does that have to do with bearing burdens? Well, the jury's still out on this, but most commentators that I read feel like what Paul is saying is referring back to the words of Christ where a lawyer came to him in Mark chapter, I think it was 12, and said, tell me, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, well, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God, right? And then he said, but then the second one is like unto it. It's about the same level, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think what Paul is saying here is as we are bearing each other's burdens, we're literally helping carry the load. We're actually fulfilling the greatest commandment. And that is loving God by loving people very well. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but for me, Sometimes it's just a phone call. It's a, it's, it's, to me, carrying a burden doesn't mean you have all the answers. Carrying a burden sometimes is listening. Carrying a burden sometimes is offering some way to practically help. But we can all be encouraging this way by carrying one another's burdens. Another way that we can all be encouraging, and this is what's exciting, right? This is all applicable. This is all stuff that we can do. The second way is to, is to pray for and with one another. But praying for one another, here's, here's what I want to get away from though. See, when we think of praying for each other, we pray with a mindset of getting something from God. Like I'm going to pray that God will heal you or I'm going to pray for your health or I'm going to pray that you'll get a job or I'm going to pray that, that God will do something for you. But if we look at the kind of prayers that Jesus prayed, they, it wasn't for stuff. The way Jesus prayed for his disciples was to increase their faith. Right? The way that Jesus prayed for his disciples was to, was to keep them from temptation, to help them stand against it. Jesus prayed for their unity. Jesus prayed for their sanctification, that they would become more of who God wanted them to be. How about those kind of prayers for each other? Now we're interested and invested in what our relationship with each other could potentially look like in the light of how our relationships with God ought to be looking like. So I'm not opposed to praying. Listen, God said to come to him and ask for stuff, okay? That's what daddy does. That's what God does for us. He wants to meet our needs. But as we pray for each other, let's also be concerned about where we all are spiritually. I think it makes a big difference. So the third way that we can all be encouraging is to say encouraging words to each other. There's a great verse of scripture in the Old Testament that says this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That is powerful. And your words are so powerful. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And let me expand that word corrupt a little bit so you have a better understanding of what that is. It means rotten or putrefying, not fit for use. And then he goes on to say, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that same word that we read before, 
building, restoring, growing, that it may minister grace. Aha, there's grace unto the hearers. Death and life. So here's the question. The way that I talk to my wife, is it life-giving? Does it tear her down or does it build her up? The way that I communicate to my children, someone told me in between services, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Like your tone of voice. Ah, well, if you're going to get all serious about it, I mean... That's real stuff. I mean, so how we interact with each other and the words that we say, there's such an easy way to affect change and encourage somebody. I'm blown away by just the conversations that I hear some people have. It creates such an anxious, intense environment. It's not encouraging at all. Words are so powerful. Here's another thing we can all do. We can all do this. We can speak the truth to one another. All right, so some of you people who have been around for a while, you're thinking, okay, here's my opportunity. I can let them have it. I can speak the truth. You can't handle the truth. Like I can, now I know. So, so by the way, that's the truth according to you, right? You think, oh, I know what the Bible says about the way they're living. Let me, let me share that. And there's a place for that, but that's not, what, that's not what we're saying in our text today. Paul said this. He said, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Before you get too carried away and too excited about being able to share the truth with somebody, realize that 10 verses prior, he said, speaking the truth in love. A lot of you are really good at correcting behavior. You're just not good at loving people. A lot of you are really good at sharing what you consider the truth and how it applies to them in their life, not so much the loving part. But I want to, as, as I look at this word truth, it's the word aletheia. And it has more to do with transparency than it does with Policy. It has more to do with living a transparent life and speaking in such a way that what you say reflects who you are. So if you look at it as the opposite of lying where we're trying to cover up, what he's saying is he said we ought to live in relationship with each other to where we're not pretending to be somebody that we're not. That we should be speaking the truth We should be speaking transparently because it's consistent with who we are as individuals. That's a powerful thing. And that's very difficult because we all want to be perceived to be something better than what we really are. And so he's encouraging us to live and speak transparently with each other in the relationships that we have. You say, Eric, that's going to make me really vulnerable. I know. I know. We're supposed to be in this together, right? And we all have stuff we're working on. That's what I'm saying. Now, let me just tell you this. I'm not going to let all of you know my stuff, okay? But there ought to be some peoples that know my stuff that I can be honest and transparent with. You may not be in that club, but you need to be somebody in your club. There needs to be people that you can be transparent with like that. Speaking the truth to one another. Number five, forgiving one another. 
forgiving one another. Colossians 3 says this, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. Well, if you're going to go there, right? Even as Christ forgave you. Oh, wow. I don't think you have any excuse now. I don't care how big and bad it was, how hurtful, how inconsiderate, whatever it might have been, forgive. Let me just encourage you that it releases you. Forgiveness is not for the benefit of the offender. Forgiveness is for the benefit of the offended. It releases you. Let it go. Don't hang on to it. I would encourage you this. Keep a short account of wrongs done to you. Just get rid of them. Forgive quickly. Romans 14 says this, let us therefore follow after the things, I love this, which make for peace. What a great rule to live by. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose peace anytime I can. Not at the sacrifice of truth. Not at the sacrifice of right. But anywhere I can, I wanna, I wanna choose peace. And things wherewith one may, there it is again, edify another. Just distributing that grace, forgiving where we need to forgive. I love this statement. It says that grace is, the church is more appealing where grace is more apparent. Because everybody needs an opportunity to receive grace. And number six, doing good works for one another. Now, this is where it gets kind of fun because now we can start thinking of ways that we can encourage each other by doing real stuff for each other. Galatians chapter six, as we have therefore opportunity. Ooh, I love this verse so much. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That's a great motto. But then here's what he does. He narrows the focus, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So it's like, I want you to be good to everybody. I want, I mean, you should, you should just, as we have, every time you have an opportunity, you should take that opportunity to be good to somebody. And then he goes, but hey, especially unto them who are the household of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the family here. Yeah, especially into them. That's powerful. How encouraging is that? How encouraging would it be to somebody else if we actually did nice things for other people? 2 Corinthians 9 says this, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. I love that word abound. It means super abundant, enough to share. So God's gonna dump all of this grace upon you that you always having all sufficiency, so you got enough grace for what you need, in all things may abound to every good work. Man, God has just been so good to me. And he has done so much for me. Now I need to look for ways to take all this that he's given to me and bless somebody else. You say, Eric, I don't, I don't have that much money. I'm not even talking about that. Because good works is not necessarily dollar bills. But God has been so good to us, and you know he has. He's been so good to us that we have plenty of good works to share. 
But here's the problem. We walk around so inwardly focused that we never look for anybody else's problems or needs that we can share. And this, this is something that we can all do. We can be encouraging each other by thinking of ways to make their life better. All right, my favorite illustration. Let's look at the tightest circle around you. How are you doing that for your family? Like what little things can you do? What little good works can you do to make her day? To make his day? Little special things to make them feel loved. Man, it, just, it, it doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes a little bit. Well, you know, I go out and I earn a living. and I, You're a man. That's your job. Shut up. That's not how you express love. Plus, you like it. That's how God made us. We're made to work. We love that. I love what I do for a living. You can't cheat and say, that's how I show my love to my family. I'm not saying you're, you're not loving because of that, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking good works, doing something over and above. Tell me you're not satisfied with average. Let's be overachievers in this area. Let's look for ways that we're going to encourage her. Look for ways to encourage him. We are going to be encouraging our kids. Kids, you can do the same thing for your mom and dad. Wait, who are you and what did you do with my daughter? You're doing the laundry? I didn't know you knew what a dishwasher was. I'm just saying there are things that you can practically do that would be a surprise and an encouragement. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing. It pays dividends. Right? It becomes reciprocal. Most of them will be skeptical at first. Like, what don't I know that you just did? Right? <laughs> what, what did you buy? What did you do? Well, okay. But consistency, just doing good works, will change the relationship. I can't express that enough. Not just receivers, but givers. And then, this is my favorite point. Inviting one another to do the same. That's how we can encourage one another. We can invite people in on this. This prayer, this forgiveness, these good works, all these things that we're supposed to be living out, all these ways to be encouraging one another. We can invite each other to join us in this and do the same. I love this word that we're going to find out here in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, now Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, a lot of us know very well, not forsaken the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And we use that to beat people over the head to come to church. I do not think that means what you think it means. Okay? But let's focus on the verse in front of that, which is verse 24, where it says this, and let us consider one another, I love this word, to provoke unto love and to good works. I don't know what your Bible says. Your Bible might say stimulate unto love and good works. Because the meaning of that word is bigger than just provoking. It actually has the idea of irritating. And some of you are like, finally, something I can do. Right? 
the idea is that we are supposed to be that person in their life that's trying to get them to do something outside of their comfort zone, to help somebody, to pray with, to forgive somebody, to join in an activity that's going to bless somebody. Like you're the initiator. You're the one that's trying to instigate them doing something positive for somebody else. I love that. And wouldn't it be great if we had people in our lives that would call us up and say, hey, let's do this. Todd called me this week to help out his brother. Hey, Eric, do you mind coming and help me mow his lawn? I'd love to do that. He provoked me. He didn't irritate me, just for the record. I love to mow. It's not an irritation. But I love that. Like, I'm, I'm on it. Let's go do it. And we had a great time. I love the fact that there are people in my life that challenge me and get me to do better than I'm doing already. And we need them. And we need to be the instigator for good works. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we then, as workers together with him, I love that, beseech you or we beg you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Paul is begging these people to join together with him to use the grace that they have been given to bless somebody else. So, so the first part of the message, and, I'm, you know, and really this last part's not going to take long, but the first part of the message was all these things that everybody can do. There's seven of them. And there's more than that. I narrowed it to seven. But now I want to focus quickly on just what your gift to do in particular. And this is what's kind of exciting to me. That God has given you a gift that can become the vehicle for the grace of God to be distributed to somebody else. 1 Peter 4, those three verses that we read at the beginning. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So whatever gift you've received, that's what we're supposed to use to minister. As good stewards, wow, of the manifold grace of God, So we've been given an ability, a gifting. And in that gifting was the grace that God showed to us. And we are stewards of that. We're managers of this gift that God gave and the grace that's supposed to be distributed with it. So what is that for you? What is that thing that you can do that is unique to you that God can use to bless somebody else? We are are distributors of the grace of God. I love this little definition of spiritual gift. We use it to describe a lot of different things, but but think of it this way. They are abilities by which we receive the grace of God and disperse that grace to others. That's what it's for. This is how you do grace. It's It's the grace that God is giving me. And then I distribute it to other people. So whatever my gifting is, that's my vehicle. So grace gets in my vehicle and I take it and I distribute it out here. So what is my role? And this is, this is kind of what I want you to kind of focus in on a little bit. As an encourager, your particular role would be simply answering a couple of questions. First of all, what have I been given that I can use, right? 
What have I been given that I can use? We, <laughs> we've been given a lot, folks. So what do I have? What have I been given that I can use? The first, the last part of that passage said, as every man has received, you've already received it, so let him give. You know, two farmers, one of my favorite illustrations, two farmers walking down a country road. One farmer says to the other, he says, he said, Bill, we've been friends a long time. He said, man, we, all our life we grew up together. He said, he said, uh, he said uh, I feel like, I feel like you'd give me anything. Like if you want if you want $100,000, you'd give me half, wouldn't you? And Bill says, well, yeah, man, I'd give you half. He said, well, if you won $10,000, would you give me half? And Bill says, well, yeah, I'd give you half. We've been friends our whole life. He said, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? And Bill said, oh, come on now. You know I got two pigs. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it says so much. Like, what have you been given that God can use? What have you already received that you can give away? And again, I'm not talking financial. I'm not opposed to you giving that away. I'm just saying that's not what it's all about. What have you? So, so as we're trying to determine what my gifting is, what is my role as an encourager, how has God uniquely gifted me? What is my vehicle for his grace? First question, what have I been given that I can use? Second thing, what have I learned that I can share? And you know a lot. My dad used to tell me, he said, Eric, everybody knows something that you don't know. Respect that. So if that's the case, that means you know stuff that I don't know. That's not hard. It's a real low bar, by the way. But what I'm saying is that you know stuff that can be shared You've experienced things that other people need help with. You have perspective that other people need. What have you learned that you can share? Number three, what needs to be done that I can do? All right, Doc, I'm trying to figure out what my gifting is. I'm trying to figure out exactly what my role might be here, how I can, how I can take this grace and, and, and distribute it. Okay, what needs to be done that you can do? Like, can you paint? Can you drive a nail? Can you drive someone around town? Can you help people? Can you give? Can you support? Can you bless? What needs to be done that, hey, I can do that. All right, next, how, what's the best way for me to respond? And, and the, reason I, the reason I have this one, what is the best way for me to respond, is because I know that we are not responsible to meet every single need. But I do think you should wrestle with the possibility. I think, I, think you should, I think you should wrestle with, well, I really want to, but I can't right now. Or, or in any other circumstance, I'd be on that. Or do you see what I'm saying? You ought to, I know you can't respond to every need. But when a need res- presents itself, we should at least consider responding to it. And then the last question is this, right? What should I do while I'm waiting? <laughs> Some of you are so paralyzed by indecision because you're still trying to figure it all out. 
paralysis by analysis. Like, I, I just I want to make sure, I, you know, I know what my gifting is before. I, I've taken 37 tests online to determine my spiritual gifting. Just do something, right? You're not that big a deal, all right? Do something with what you got. Well, what should I do while I'm waiting? There's a lot to do, right? See questions one through four, all right? There's a lot of things you can be doing here. But what should I do while I'm waiting? I know this, I know this, that, 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 that a moving car is a lot easier to steer than a car sitting in the driveway. And a lot of you, a lot of you are at the wheel going, all right, where are we going? Getting spit in the windshield. So it's like you sit there and you're, and you're pretending like you're really waiting but you're really just delaying. So what should I be doing like right now? Like, all right, okay, so maybe, maybe helping in children's church is not your thing. We'll figure that out pretty quick, I think. I don't think this is your ministry, okay? I don't think this is your gift. Let's... <laughs> I think we can figure that out pretty quick, but like, do something. Like, what can you be doing while you're trying to determine what God's will for your life is? Because there's so many, there's so many things that need to be done. And I just think that we use a lack of direction as just a delay mechanism. And if your heart's really there and you really want to serve God, just jump in and do something. And it doesn't have to be here. There is a lot to do outside of the walls of this building. There's a lot. I mean, I think you should consider doing something here as well. You know, you can do a couple different things. But I would just be praying that God would give you direction, but that you would do something until you figure that out. I mean, there's a lot to this whole thing of encouraging, and I can't encourage you enough to use the grace that you've been given to encourage other people. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for just the fact that you want to partner with us and, 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 and you and us working together to encourage other believers. It just, it's an incredible concept that we can work together with a God of this universe. And I pray, Father, you would just help us to be sensitive to others. Help us to be the spouses and the parents and the kids that we should be. And help us to encourage and look for ways to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.